Today, reversing the January effect. Hello again, it's Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics. Welcome to this post, covering finance and problem news with a distinctively Australian flavour. In this week's market review, as normal, we start in the US, go across to the UK and Europe, across to Asia, and end in Australia. And a month is a long time for the markets. And after the stellar rises in January, driven by hopes of inflation easing and massive tax-driven trading, reality is now dawning, at least for some, as strong jobs data and comments from Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell stokes worries about how much high interest rates may need to climb. What has been going on for the last few days is that every other day there is a Fed governor going to talk hawkish, said Kevin Renindo, Chief Executive Asset Manager 180 Degree Capital. In the note, JP Morgan said, while it sees the potential for the 10-year US yield to edge somewhat higher, it thinks the two-year yield has hit a high and will pull back. And Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker is optimistic about the US economy and the need for still higher interest rates. We need to get above five. We're really close to that right now. And then pause, Harker said. How much above five? We'll see. So the Nasdaq ended lower on Friday as mega cap growth stocks came under pressure after Treasury yields pointed to higher interest rates as yields on the benchmark 10-year Treasury note rose to their highest in more than a month, following an auction on Thursday of 30-year bonds that saw weak demand. The yield on the US 10-year note rose about 9 basis points to 3.743, while the 2-year bill was at 4.53. And shares of ride-hailing firm Lyft plunged following a downbeat profit forecast. The Nasdaq posted its first weekly fall this year down 2.41%, while the S&P 500 ended the week lower, while down 1.1%, and the Dow Jones lost 0.17% in a week dominated by hawkish commentary from US Federal Reserve officials and earnings reports from more than half of the S&P 500 constituents. But a rally in energy stocks as oil prices climbed on Russia's plans to cut crude supplies helped push up the Dow and the S&P 500. The energy sector jumped 3.92%, while the consumer discretionary sector fell 1.22%. Investors are wondering what the bond market is telling us that economic indicators are not telling us, said Stam Stavell, Chief Investment Strategist at CFRA Research. Higher bond yields are going to more adversely affect higher growth technology companies. US consumer sentiment improved further in February, month on month, but households expect higher inflation to persist over the next 12 months, according to the University of Michigan's preliminary February readings. After US equities were rattled over the week by strong jobs data, investors are waiting for January consumer inflation data next week for clarity on the Fed's rate hike path. Traders are fearful that the Valentine's Day inflation report will vindicate the Fed's stance that ongoing rate increases will continue, Onya's Ed Moyer said. In its CPI preview, TD Securities said, we're looking for core prices to stay strong on a month-over-month -month basis in January, as the recent relief from goods deflation is likely coming to an end. Indeed, we forecast a still firm 0.4% month-over-month gain in the core CPI series, which would match December's increase. Our month-over-month projections imply that headline and core CPI inflation continue to lose speed on a yearly basis though, in January.
So the Dow Jones Industrial Average ended up 0.5% to 33,869. The S&P 500 gained 0.22% to 4,019. The Nasdaq Composite dropped 0.61% to 11,718. Alphabet steadied following days of losses, but big tech mostly traded in the red as losses were exacerbated by a slump in NVIDIA. NVIDIA fell more than 3% as some questions about how much upside lies ahead for the stock which is up about 44% year-to-date, on bets that the surge in interest in AI applications following stronger demand for OpenAI's chat GTP tool will boost chip demand. NVIDIA is trading rich from a valuation perspective, said Greg Busuk, Chief Executive Officer at AXS Investments in New York, pointing to the risk of multiple compressions ahead. The earnings front, showing mostly weaker-than-expected results, also soured sentiment on stocks. Lift tumbled more than 32% after the ride-sharing company reported revenue guidance that fell short of estimates and a surprise quarterly loss as lower prices and rising costs hit hurt margins. A different mix of rides, improving driver supply will cause less prime-time pricing and reduced base pricing due to heightened competition. They're all negatively impacting financial year 23 outlook, Wedbush said, as it downgraded the stock to neutral from outperform. Expedia, meanwhile, reported quarterly results that missed on both the top and bottom lines, sending its shares more than 2% lower. But some analysts attributed the weakness to weather-related cancellations of bookings that weighed on shares. We are inclined to look through reporting fourth quarter numbers as Hurricane Ian in October and a rash of weather-related cancellations late in December served as the primary factors behind the miss, Deutsche Bank said in the note. Energy stocks kept losses in the broader market to a check though, supported by rising oil prices after Russia said it would cut production by 500,000 barrels per day at a time when many are expecting energy demand to be bolstered by the China reopening. The 1.1 million barrels a day rise in China demand this year should push oil markets back into deficit in June and expose structural underinvestment, boost prices and lead OPEC to reverse its November 22 production cut in the second half of 2023, Goldman Sachs said in the note, after cutting its 2023 price target on Brent crude by $5 to $75 a barrel. Oil markets jumped 2% on Friday as Russia hit back at the G7's price caps by announcing production cuts and its own minimum price structure, while the global coalition behind the penalties warned the market against believing Moscow's stunts. Russia will cut oil production by half a million barrels per day, accounting for about 5% of its output in March, according to the Deputy Prime Minister. OPEC plus the alliance of 23 oil producers that Saudi Arabia leads with Russia's assistance wasn't involved in the decision. The United States singled out the Saudis for criticism last year when OPEC plus announced a 2 million barrel per day cut in October. Separately, the Kremlin plans to set a fixed $20 per barrel differential for its euros crude to dated contracts for global benchmark Brent, for tax purposes, energy officials in Moscow were quoted as saying. Russia currently uses Ural's price assessments in Europe's Rotterdam and Augusta ports, provided by commodity price reporting agency Argus to determine its mineral extraction tax, additional income tax, oil export duty and reverse excise on oil. According to Russia's finance ministry, the average price of its Ural's in January was 49 $1.48 a barrel, down 42% from January 2022. The G7 Plus responded swiftly to the Russian announcements, cautioning about the possibility of Moscow trying to pull off a stunt. 
it is critical not to take Russian statements about oil production cuts at face value, a so-called G7 price cap coalition official was quoted by Reuters. For context, OPEC plus countries have often put out more crude than they said, although underinvestment in oil fields since the coronavirus pandemic has made it difficult for many to produce like before. Global energy markets remain stable, with benchmarks largely unchanged since the implementation of the crude cap in December, the G7 official said. According to public reporting, a large volume of Russian seaborne oil was delivered via price-compliant tankers. The official added that the price cap of $60 per barrel on Russian crude and at $100 on diesel and $45 on fuel oil and naphtha continues to meet its dual objectives. And the US Treasury Department has repeatedly said that it wants to limit what the Kremlin can earn from barrels in order to squeeze Moscow's funding for the war in Ukraine, while ensuring Russian oil supplies reach markets that need them. On that score, the G7 official said any Russian production cuts will disproportionately hurt developing countries. New York traded West Texas Intermediate, or WTI crude, for March was up 2.1% at 79.75 per barrel. The session high actually reached $80.33. That's the loftiest since January the 30th. For the week, the US crude benchmark was up almost 9%, overwriting last week's 7.5% plunge. And London traded Brent crude for March delivery finished the regular session up 2.2% to $86.52 after a session peak of $86.89. Brent was up 8% on the week, erasing last week's 7.5% decline. Oil plunged last week on the back of recession fears and uncertainty in US interest rate direction after bumper job and wage gains among Americans in January threatened to bump up inflation. Since this week began, however, it's been rebounding on the premise that Chinese refiners would add exponentially to imports this month as the country returns from the long Lunar New Year break and into an environment free of COVID-19 restrictions, which had previously hampered demand. Chinese import data supporting such a market run-up will likely not emerge for weeks, though. And meanwhile, the latest available data showed the world's largest crude importer bought 10.98 million barrels per day, in January, that's down from December's 11.37 million and November's 11.42 million. Running counter to the bullish sentiment were large builds across the board in crude, gasoline and distillates in the weekly petroleum status reports released by the US Energy Information Administration on Wednesday. Now over in Europe, European stocks fell on Friday as UK economic weakness in December added to concerns about a global recession this year. The DAX index in Germany traded 1.39% lower, the CAC 40 in France dropped 0.82% and the FTSE in London fell 0.36%. Economic data released earlier on Friday showed that the UK narrowly avoided falling into a technical recession in the final quarter of 2022 as the country's economy slowed zero growth during the last three months of the year after falling 0.3% in the July to September period. That said, the economy contracted sharply in December, dropping 0.5% on the month, suggesting that this is merely delaying the inevitable. The Bank of England forecast last week that Britain would enter a shallow but lengthy recession starting in the first quarter of this year and lasting five quarters. In the corporate sector, Credit Suisse stocks fell a further 1%, continuing Thursday's sharp sell-off after the Swiss lender booked its biggest annual loss since the 2008 financial crisis. The scandal hit bank also warned on Thursday that a further substantial loss was likely this year, given the levels of outflows prompting Swiss regulator Finmar to say it monitors banks very closely during such situations. Remaining in the banking sector, Standard Charter stocks fell 5.8% after First Abu Dhabi Bank 
the United Arab Emirates' biggest lender, said it was not currently evaluating a possible offer for the UK lender, quashing speculation of a possible link-up. Additionally, gold futures traded down a little to 1,876.50, while the euro-euro dollar traded 0.55% lower at 1.0677. Most Asian stock markets slipped on Friday and were set to end the week lower, as rising US Treasury yields ramped up fears of a looming recession, while weaker-than-expected Chinese inflation data also weighed on regional sentiment. Chinese Shanghai Composite Indices fell 0.3% as data showed that consumer inflation grew less than expected in January, while producer inflation shrank further. The weak readings indicate that an economic recovery in the country was taking longer than expected after lifting of most anti-COVID measures earlier this year. Weakness in China has spilled over into the rest of the region, given the country's role as a major trading hub. Global investors are reducing their holdings of Chinese government bonds as well, a steady source of secure returns during the pandemic years as they prepare for some monetary tightening in China and are eyeing juicier stock markets in the reopened economy. China's bond market was the outlier in 2022 as global central banks raised interest rates hurriedly to fight inflation, while policymakers in Beijing faced a sharp COVID-induced slowdown. But now, as the economy reopens swiftly, and analysts expect the People's Bank of China will eventually rein in stimulus. Signs of a peak in developed market rates are another reason why China's bonds, yielding roughly 3% on 10-year investments, are less appealing, given the potential greater capital gains elsewhere. Data from China's Bond Connect platform, the primary avenue for foreigners investing in mainland markets, shows that foreigners sold roughly 606 billion yuan, or $90.63 billion worth of bonds in 2022, taking the holdings down to 3.4 trillion yuan. That trend has strengthened this year. If investors are saying that I want to trade the China recovery, the answer is not Chinese government bonds said some investors, the answer to participation in risk-on opportunities in bonds would be Chinese offshore credit and long remindy. Investors who have already committed cash to mainland markets might just switch to equities, JP Morgan said. And in fact, they'd partially reduced their exposures to China government bonds and reallocated a large part of that into the offshore yuan denominated Dim Sing bonds in Hong Kong. As global investors play China's recovery through stocks in Hong Kong, cash conditions in the city will improve and put a floor under those bonds. In contrast to the global tightening trend, China has been easing monetary policy over the last two years, and that's helped its bond market outperform peers. The FTSC is in who Chinese government bond index returned 3.2% in 2022 in local currency terms and a negative 5.4% in dollar terms. And the FTSC world government bond index declined 18.3% in dollar terms. Edmund Goh, head of fixed income for China at British asset manager ABRDN, also favours countries that would be among the first to exit higher interest rates. We haven't increased our Chinese bonds exposure to our Asian fixed income portfolios as there are other markets that present a bigger upside in capital gains, he said. Markets such as South Korea, India and Indonesia are likely to start pricing in cuts as the next policy step, he added. And Jerome Batresha, Head of Investment Specialists, Fixed Income and Multi-Asset Solutions at AXA, shares that view. His overweight Indonesian sovereign bonds and infrastructure-related offshore China high-yield bonds. The cushion of higher yields in China government bonds has also been evaporating as US yields first caught up 
and then overtook China's treasuries now offer around 3.7% on 10-year tenors, while China's equivalent is just 2.9%. Meanwhile, the Shanghai stock market is up 13% in just over two months. China bonds served as a very good type of diversifier, in particular over the past three years, said Pang. But as global rates hit a peak, it makes sense to plough limited cash into better yielding markets. Still, while fund managers are switching to more attractive markets, they do not expect a massive sell-off in China government bonds. I don't see a big trade in China's local currency sovereign bonds, either in FX or in rates, said Paulina Koroya, head of emerging markets and senior portfolio manager at Blue Bay Asset Management. China's central bank is much more adept to use administrative measures to direct liquidity to the pockets that it's most needed in. Freddie Wong, head of Asia-Pacific Fixed Income at Vasco, believes China government bonds will attract some inflows, particularly as the yuan gains. A lot of global investors have been meaningfully under-allocated to China onshore markets. There might be potential interest, but I won't rank that as a very high one, said Wong. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index sank 2.01% and was trading down nearly 2% for the week. Chipmaker Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corp. was among the worst performers on the index down Friday, down nearly 4% after it warned of weak sales in 2023 due to a looming downturn in the chip industry. The warning also battered other major technology stocks. Broader Asian markets retreated as a spike in short-term Treasury yields pushed up fears for a potential US recession this year. Deepening yield curve inversion, a classic signal for recession, also rattles sentiment towards risk-driven markets. Japan's Nikkei 2 to 5 index rose slightly on Friday as data show producer price inflation fell slightly more than expected. But inflation still remained close to 40-year highs, with elevated consumer inflation also brewing concerns over monetary policy tightening by the Bank of Japan. India's Nifty 50 fell 0.3% as a sell-down in shares under the Adani Group continued. Index operator MSCI said it will cut the weightings of four Adani firms, including the flagship Adani Enterprise, from its indices after reassessing their free float status. Now in Australia on Friday, coal stocks were smashed after a slump in thermal prices and reports that Whitehaven Coal has lost one of its biggest investors put traders on edge. Newcastle Coal Futures tumbled 6% overnight to $225.50 per tonne amid reports that embattled coal developer Adani is offering discounted volumes and it is actually falling further. Prices have halved from a record high of around $450 in September as Russia's war in Ukraine fueled a comeback for coal. And meanwhile, Street Talk reported a $337 million parcel of Whitehaven coal shares had been sold at a 7.5% discount on late Thursday afternoon trade, with sources pointing to fund manager GQG Partners as the most likely seller. New Hope sank 8.6% to $5.30. Whitehaven Coal fell 3.7% to $7.70. So declines pushed the S&P ASX 200 to a 0.8% loss, representing the index's biggest fall one day since early January on Friday. Shares closed the week down 1.7% at a three-week low of 7,433, the worst since September. Traders took early direction from Wall Street's fizzling rally as investors adjusted for the prospect of higher US interest rates. Sentiment soured further after the Reserve Bank of Australia again revised its inflation forecast in response to a strong December quarter CPI number. Trimmed mean inflation is now expected to fall to 4.3% by the end of the year, compared with the central bank's previous forecast of 3.8%. 
Confirmation of an upward revision to the RBA's near-term underlying inflation forecast help explains the bank's recent hawkish tilt. BetaShares chief economist David Bassanitz referencing Governor Lowe's warning of at least two more increases in the months ahead on Tuesday. The RBA has repeated the expectation that further increases in interest rates will be needed. This suggests at least two more rate hikes in coming months, taking the official cash rate to 3.85%. Market pricing for Australia's cash rate has now tipped over 4% from an expected peak of 3.72% ahead of the meeting on February. The prospect of higher rates weighed on the tech sector, falling 2%, and most sectors closed in the red by consumer stables, which are at 1%. A 7.4% jump in Imogene shares led the gainers as US regulators approved its patient application for its lung cancer treatment product. News Corp shares dropped 6.9% after the media giant's second quarter results missed expectations. Domain shares flirted with $3 as rival REA Group fell 2.7%. The Property Services Group reported a slump in profits amid challenging housing market conditions. The result beat analyst expectations with UBS analyst Lucy Hang describing the results as strong amid signs REA is potentially taking more share in the current uncertain environment. Something else to note is that Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe briefed traders at the country's major banks in a private lunch hosted by Baron Joey just two days after the central bank surprised markets with a hawkish outlook. The lunch coincided with a rise in bond yields. Dr Lowe attended the investment bank's event after declining to make a public address on the outlook for monetary policy, which he's done after the first RBA board meeting of the year since 2017. Governor Phil Lowe's first public appearance for 2023, therefore, will be in Canberra next week. The appearance coincided with a sell-off in bond future contracts, which are the most actively traded interest rate securities, and a rise in short-term bond yields as the market positioned the prospect of more rate hikes. RBA officials said Dr Lowe was too busy to speak at a public event following the central bank's decision to raise rates by 0.25% on Tuesday, as he has done for the last six years, and noted he is to appear before a parliamentary committee next week. Dr Lowe, of course, has been under increasing scrutiny as the RBA continues to lift rates, and with his term expiring in September, several Labour MPs this week criticised the RBA, while the Greens have urged the government to sack Dr Lowe. The RBA governor has also faced specific criticism for his 2021 forecast that there will be no rate rises until 2024. A government commissioned review of the central bank is due next month. Since his appointment, Dr Lowe has made his first public appearance of the year in early February at the National Press Club in the last four years and at a Sydney event in 2017 and 2018. Those events have been seen as key for the market after several weeks of silence from the central bank over the summer holidays, as no RBA board meeting is held in January. But an RBA spokeswoman confirmed that Dr Lowe attended the lunch at Baron Joey and that she reiterated what was in the statement and no more, adding that the briefing was an opportunity to listen to other people. The appearance coincided with a modest but noticeable fall in the three-year bond futures contract from $96.70 at midday on Tuesday to $96.65 by 2pm after trading in a fairly tight range following Tuesday's rate decision. In yield terms, the three-year bond increased to 3.487 by Friday, and the ASX forward view was also moved up. The three-year and 10-year bond futures contracts are the most actively traded fixed income securities and are linked to actual government bond yields of those maturities. A fall in the bond contract implies a rise in the yield of the underlying bond. 
The RBA, of course, on Tuesday lifted the cash rate to 3.35%, but the hawkish statement led economists to revise upward their expectations of the peak cash rate to 4%. And sources said the briefing at Baron Jerry is an annual event attended by the Treasury desks of the big four banks, the largest and most influential participants in the local fixed income market. The Treasury desks, or balance sheets of the big four banks, are considered important players in interest rate markets that the RBA should have a close dialogue with. But the appearance comes at a period in which Dr Lowe has scaled back his public appearances. He's delivered a public address in the first week of February for the past six years. So my question is, why is he hiding? The governor's first public appearance of 2023 was scheduled for Friday when he appears before the House of Representatives Economic Committee. However, Dr Lowe will also now appear two days earlier at the Senate Economics Committee, and I'll be watching that. There is still a conspicuous lack of scheduled speeches from Martin Place, though there is a 15th of February appearance before the Senate Economics Legislative Committee, ahead of semi-annual parliamentary testimony on the 17th of February, National Australia Bank economist wrote in the note to clients on Friday morning. A private briefing by a senior RBA official hosted by an investment bank for its client is not uncommon and helpful in effectively communicating stances to the market. And central banks also meet with bond investors around the world. For instance, Dr Lowe met with large US bond investors in October, providing them with a positive message on Australian monetary policy. But you can see here how those quiet, whispery conversations are not made public. That's a problem. Some traders and analysts were angered to find out about the briefings, particularly in light of Thursday's movements in bond futures contracts and bond yields. But others said the appearance was appropriate and Tuesday's statement was appropriately clear in its hawkish tilt. On Friday, the RBA released its quarterly statement of monetary policy, which reiterated that multiple interest rate increases are likely to be required. The statement on monetary policy provides little new information that would change our view that the Reserve Bank took a slightly more hawkish turn at the start of the year, said Barclays economists. The statement on monetary policy reiterated the bank's view that further interest rate increases will be needed to bring inflation, which has been revised higher, back within the target range, and to anchor inflation expectations, even though its growth forecasts remain largely unchanged at low levels. Now, gold may be in the green, was on Friday, but I'm not convinced its near-term prospects are particularly bullish. The yellow metal has moved into a correction phase over the last week or so, and while the back end of last week saw it fall quite sharply, it may have further to go. It's been a week of consolidation and clawing back some losses, but it struggled to gain any real momentum. And for a fourth day yesterday, it ended the session well off its highs. While 1,820 to 1,830 is the next technical support area, it could go lower. The price of gold stopped just short of hitting $1,960 an ounce last Thursday. That's the highest level since April 2022, before plunging below $1,900 on Friday, following a strongly expected US jobs report, indicating that the current rate hike cycle may be far from over. Gold posted a 5.72% rise in January, compared to 8.39% in the same month eight years ago, the best start to the year since 2015. The big headline, though, in the World Gold Council's 2020 review is that total global demand expanded 18% year over year, reaching its highest level 
since 2011. Central banks are responsible for much of the growth, adding a massive 1,136 metric tons, the largest annual amount since 1967. China began accumulating again in 2022 for the first time in three years, continuing its goal of diversifying away from the dollar. And meanwhile, retail demand for bars and coins in the US and Europe hit a new annual record last year in response to stubbornly high inflation and the war in Ukraine. Western investors grabbed about 427 tonnes. That's the most since 2011. Some are now looking towards gold-backed ETFs and gold mining stocks, both of which don't seem to have the same level of demand as the bullion market did last year. Investors withdrew some 110 tonnes from physical gold ETFs, the second straight year of declines, though at a slower pace compared to 2021. Even when the gold price began to climb in November, investors didn't seem to respond as they have in past rallies. The World Gold Council report suggests that demand for ETFs that hold physical gold will take the baton from bars and coins this year. Well, that remains to be seen. But, of course, those who recommend some diversification with gold or gold-backed ETFs may want to take heed. And, by the way, silver was down 0.6% to $20.01. So that's still not doing particularly well at the moment. And so to crypto, where crypto businesses don't properly safeguard their customers' assets and often mix them with their own funds, according to Securities and Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gessner. This is largely a non-compliant field, Gessner said in an interview on Bloomberg. They're commingling customer funds with their businesses. The blunt assessment by Wall Street's main watchdog follows months of warnings by Gessner and the US regulators over potential dangers posed by the digital asset industry. The SEC has asserted that many tokens and crypto products are really just securities that trade on the blockchain and should be registered with the agency. And on Thursday, the regulator announced that the trading platform known as Kraken had agreed to pay a $330 million penalty to settle allegations that its staking product for American clients violated SEC rules. The firm, which also agreed to discontinue them in the US as part of the deal, didn't admit or deny the regulator's claims. Crypto staking works by letting users generate yields in return for allowing their tokens to be used to facilitate transactions on the blockchain. Like several other digital asset products, the SEC has said that it can resemble a security that should be registered with the agency. In his Bloomberg interview on Friday, Gessler took particular issue with how crypto exchanges often play multiple roles. He suggested that their business models can create significant conflicts of interest. We don't let the New York Stock Exchange also run a hedge fund and trade on the exchange why would we do it here, Gensler said. Gensler said the firms should expect additional enforcement actions by the agency unless they start following the regulator's rules. And Bitcoin fell to three big lows as a result, with traders eyeing potential retests of 20,000 or even 19,000 US to come. It was last at 21,665. Existing market weakness was compounded by an announcement from US regulators concerning Ether staking, with major crypto exchange Creighton forced to suspend its staking operations and pay a $30 million fine. Ether fell 2.07% to $1,515.90. So, just as I said in my post yesterday, you can see this playing out now with expectations of higher interest rates, wrestling with inflation for longer, and therefore potential falls on many markets. So the January boom will probably be seen as an aberration as we begin to move into the second and third quarters. 
And as I've said before, my suspicion is recession will lurk and emerge in the second half of this year. I'm Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics. Many thanks for watching and I'll see you again next time.